vaccines. The vaccines. Well, you know, I thought maybe you could uh, just throw all that together real quick before I get home. What do you think? So uh, go ahead and do that. I'll be home in just a couple minutes. So get it all together, and I will see you in a few, okay? And I'll get it on, and I'll get my doing my grill thing. You know who's doing it? Jay is doing his grill thing. Love you. Ow. Good. I am a good cook. I am gonna, I am out. If you could fix me a drink, I'm gonna go change clothes and I'll be back. To bless you! Better. You know, Daddy, the ties do are. Do you mind? Could no, you? I do not mind. I do not mind making dinner for you every night of the week if that's what it takes for you to relax. Speaking of, you keep on just chilling, and I'm gonna go chill by the grill, and then uh, just when these steaks are marinated, come bring them to me. Did you marinate those? They look kind of not quite enough. Do a little bit more. I'm gonna ask you to do one thing. Hey, baby, you need to kick back and relax. You just kick back. Oh, and make a cake. Tips of the job. Beef welling done. It's well done. Look how delicious that looks. It's perfect. That one's mine. Woohoo! Oh, you know, we do not do this enough. I mean, eating, you know, good food. All right. Would you like to do the honors and put them on the plate? I love the way you do it. I'm going to say grace while you do that. Father God, go ahead and start it. Father God, thank you so much for this delicious meal that I have made and that you made the cow first. And just please bless us tonight as my wife takes a well-earned break, partly earned. Jesus' name. All right. Did you make fruit? No fruit. Woo! I don't see how you do this every night, to be quite honest. But I could eat it every night. And I think, you know, that is a hint. Oh, <laughs> I like steak. It really does feel good. Proof positive. It feels really good to bless your spouse. Huh. And the best part is, you're not to do the dishes. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that out loud, but I knew you get a big kick out of it. Not now. Wow, kids can be dismissed.
Amen. Amen. Very, very interesting, huh? <laughs> well, we're going to be uh, continuing our, our second installment of our series. Um, as I said, uh, it's probably going to last all the way up through March. And uh, we're going to be talking about the role of a husband. And uh, last week we actually talked about the foundation of marriage. And how marriage originated. And how the fact that God is the one who established marriage. And uh, contrary to what the media and what the world would try to tell us, how many know that the world is not the world's idea of what marriage is? And as I said last week, if we're going to really, really understand marriage and have a good marriage, it is important that we go back to what the Word of God says about marriage. Over the years, men have been, should I say, uh, we have not been good leaders in the home. There was a time, and I can recall, how many of you have ever heard the, the term uh, barefoot and pregnant? And the reality of it is, is now, now, let me, let, let me just say this. Let me start with this. Now, we're going to be a little tough on the men. But women, ladies, before you get too excited, we're going to deal with you all next week. So just remember, you're coming up. But the reality of it is, is that over the years, men have not been great leaders in the home. You know, there was a time when, you know, when men just kind of treat, treated women like a doormat. Like, you know, it's your job and it's your responsibility to serve and to take care of me. So there was a time when men would go out and, you know, they would come in whenever they got ready to. Some of them were involved in different kinds of relationships that they should not have been involved in. While the wife was kind of left home to try to figure out all the stuff, to take care of the kids, to take care of this, to pay the bills, to go here and do all these things, while we just kind of sit back like, hey, I'm king, crown me. I am the man. And so what we have relegated to being successful husbands we are relegated it to the simple fact, well, you know, um, I pay the bills. Uh, I pay the reason. I pay, I pay for this. I pay for that. Now, therefore, you know, hey, you owe me something. And the reality of it is, is that women have gotten just downright, you know, upset at that as well as they should. Hence, there comes the women's liberation movement. Now, what was that all about? Because why women basically say, you know what, I am absolutely sick and tired of being dependent on this man who treats me just like a doormat, who do not respect me, who do not honor me as his wife. And so now I'm going to be independent. And so they've gone to the other extreme whereby they say, well, you know, I don't really need a man. And there is no clear leader in the home. And so what you, what you find is that women now, because of their anger, because of their frustration, they have now abandoned what God says in the word of God concerning male leadership in the home because men have distorted it. And I really think that we all, we, we got to be honest with ourselves, men, and say that, that we haven't done it like we should do it. We can do a whole lot better. How I many you know we can do better? And so... Women have gotten upset and angry, and it's 
kind of led to confusion in the homes. You have more divorces. You have more conflict. You have problems with the kids because, you know, you have women that are out, you know, working and men working, and then that creates extra stress in the marriage because somebody has to take care of the kids. And, you know, she feels like, well, you know, I need to be dependent. I need to do my thing. Not that I'm saying that it's wrong to work. It's not wrong to work. There's nothing wrong with that. It's nothing wrong with if your wife happened to make more money than you. Nothing wrong with that. But the reality of it is, we got to be really, really honest with one another, is that it has created another dimension of stress in the home and in the marital relationship because of the fact that women in some ways have said, you know what, I am not going to stand because I don't know what he might do. So therefore, you know what I got to do? I got I to take care of myself. I'm going to kind of take the bull by the horns myself. I got to look out for me because you know what? And so they've come, they have uh, been defensive. And so it's been passed down. So they've gotten that kind of attitude from mom and dad. You know, they've kind of grown up and they've kind of learned that. And so now they're married and, and, you know, and they just kind of take on the same kind of an attitude. And so it's time to get back to the word of God. And I've, I've always said that whenever you look at problems and conflict and strife in marriage, it always boils down to this one simple thing. Somebody is not obeying the will of God. Because here's the thing that we got to understand. I think it's important that we do this. That we always make up in our minds to say that, you know what? I am going to use the Bible as my instruction manual on marriage. In other words, whatever God's word says, because he's the originator, he's the author of, uh, you know, of the word of God, of marriage, obviously. And I'm going to... Listen to what he says. I'm going to obey <laughs> what he says. Thank you, Sean. You can get that for me. And so we need, to make un- we need to make up our minds that we're going to obey the word of God, even if it goes counter to what we have been taught. And so in part of his series, we're going to untangle some things as it relates to how marriage is ought to work or how it ought to work. A marriage not done God's way is doomed for failure. I want to say that again. A marriage that is not done God's way is doomed for failure. Now, you could actually, how many know that you can be married but still be failing in your marriage? You can be together but still have a failed marriage. Obviously, the divorce is very obvious. You know, divorce is kind of like the finality of things. But if we don't learn to get back to what God says about marriage, and, and, that, and that women learn that, hey, you know what, it's, a, it's as a result of the fall and sin coming into the world that has caused things to be distorted. Until we get back to what the word of God says, we're going to always struggle in our relationship, in our marriage. I had to learn, you know, when I went to college, I was sharing with someone yesterday, and, you know, and I can remember I didn't have a great example in my home. In fact, I can recall being in college and I just didn't, when everybody else on the Christmas holidays and things would come home, I just, I wanted to stay in college because I just kind of felt like there wasn't anything there for me at home. It was just, you know, a bad example. I just felt like I was, you know, just, you know, demeaned. I didn't feel like my, my home situation was, you know, the best. And a lot of that because my father just wasn't there. He was, he much rather been doing some other things. My mom, she slaved, she worked. And because of all the things she had to go through for us, she's battling now. And she had to you know, battle years ago, nervous breakdown and all those things because she had all the weight of it. She had to tell, I mean, it is, I I don't, I mean, women are, you all know that women are generally stronger than men, particularly, I mean, they can handle a lot. 
They're smarter, too, in most cases. So, men, if you don't listen to your wives, you're doing yourself a disservice. So turn with me to Genesis chapter number three. Genesis chapter number three. Genesis chapter number three. We're all familiar with this passage, but I'm going to read it anyway because it's going to set the course of what we want to talk about. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her. Where was her husband at? He was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And the Lord heard this and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed Uh, You are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, look at verse 16. I want you to listen to this very carefully. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and uh, and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire, I want you to remember that word, desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, the first thing is that there's several points I want to draw from this particular passage of Scripture. The first thing is that God had established men as the leader in the relationship. One of the reasons why we know that is because Adam was created first. You remember the scripture said that that Adam was asleep. God took a rib out of Adam uh, and he created Eve. Eve was created sometime after Adam was already there. And God was was signaling to, to, to all creation that Adam was to be the leader in the home. Uh, a scripture verse, 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, but there is one thing I want you to know. A man is responsible to Christ and a woman is responsible to her husband. And Christ is responsible to God. And man, and look at this, this is 1 Corinthians 11.9, and man was not made for woman's benefit, but woman was made for man. Now, 
if you're a, a woman and you're sitting here and you're hearing that, there's something in you that may just kind of say, mm, something about that just doesn't. Because it conjures up the idea of experience, what you have read and what you have seen. Because all societies say, what, there is no leader in the home anymore. You know, it's kind of like, you think about this. A military, uh, let's just say that we were going to attack an enemy. And every, all the soldiers just kind of got together and said, you know what, we're going over to Iraq and, or, you know, the Middle East, and we're going to attack this army. But there's no leadership structure. There's nobody to give any kind of direction that everybody just say, whoopee, let's go. How I many know utter chaos? Because there has to be. You see, the thing about leadership, women, is that, listen, God sets that in order for our benefit. And that's why the Bible always talks about not rebelling against authority and not doing those kinds of things. Because what you're essentially doing is you're hurting yourself. And so we know that God created man as a leader. Number one was because Adam was created first. Secondly, Eve was created as a helper to Adam. God said that he will provide Adam a helper suitable for him. Now, helper doesn't mean what some of us may think it means. For example, if I said, uh, if I said you know, my wife said to me, uh, honey, can you do me a favor? That shower has been broken. Uh, she's going to laugh when she hears this sermon because it has been broken for a while. And she says to me, honey, uh, can you do me a favor? I-, I need that shower fixed because it's been kind of sitting there for eight months and the thing has been broke. I know, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't fix a shower. I'm not a plumber. I don't know anything about this. But I decide I'm going to give Sean a call. I said, Sean, do me a favor. I need you to come and, and, and help me fix my shower because, Sean, I really don't know what I'm doing. Now, Sean... <laughs> well, it's, well, we're going to pretend. But, but Sean now, Sean, he knows about how to fix showers. And so he come over there and we start to work on the shower. Now, Sean may very well come over there and probably I'm going to end up standing there kind of looking a little bit. And I'm going to kind of defer to him because I know that Sean has an understanding of what that is. You follow me? He knows how to fix it. And so now let's just say for some reason the shower don't get fixed. Well, my wife, she finds out. Well, my wife is not going to get on the phone and call Sean. Who is she going to talk to? Me. Why me? Because it was my responsibility. He was simply my helper. He was to come alongside of me and to help me get it done. But the responsibility of it was always upon my shoulders. So it was men. God has called men to be the leaders. And he has called our wives to come alongside of us and to help us. Now, it's not to mean that, like, again, that she's some doormat. How many know if Sean comes over and if I don't listen to Sean and he's helping me, I may be depriving myself of the opportunity to get something fixed because I got this thing that is mine and I'm the man. And so helper is the idea of companionship. She is to come alongside of you and to help you to achieve what God has already set in order for the family. So she is a helper. She's not a doormat. She's a helper. And any man that does not listen to the counsel of his wife is foolish. It's just absolutely foolish. Because you miss out on the opportunity that God has for you. Another reason why we know that God has established man as a leader in the relationship is the whole creation. Um, Adam represents the human race. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, in Adam all died. Now, who ate the forbidden fruit? In Genesis chapter 2, it was both Adam and Eve. 
but that the Bible said that in Adam all died. Also, in Romans 5.15, it says many died through one man's trespass. And so, again, it falls back on Adam. Another reason why we know God established man as a leader in the home is because after the fall, God called Adam even though Eve had ignited the disobedience. Look at verse number 9 of the Genesis chapter 3. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Now, think about this for a moment. Eve was the one that if, 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 if God created Adam and Eve to be to have the same exact roles, if he had created them to be that way, then God would not have called, listen to me, it wouldn't seem logical that God would first call Adam. But he calls out to Adam. Eve was the one that for, she uh, partook of the fruit and she handed it over to Adam. But God never mentions Eve until Adam, of course, stopped passing the buck because how I many you know he was standing there with her? He should have been there to protect her. He should have been there to say, honey, we don't want to do this because, you know, we're going to be disobeying God. And, and he didn't do that. All he, you know, he just kind of said, okay, honey, I'll just come along and I'll just do it too. But it's interesting that when the, sin, when, when the sin was discovered, God said, Adam, where are you? Why? Because, Adam, you're the leader. I, I created you first. You are the one. Adam was here in the beginning. Adam was here first before Eve, and God was calling out to Adam to let Adam know that he's a leader and that he ultimately shares the weight of that leadership. Her desire, and look at this, and this is uh, verse number 16. I want you to follow me with this. This is good because now we're going to see the root of the problem with the conflict in the marriage. After the curse, after God started handing out the judgment, here's what he says in verse 16, the second part, part B. He says, your desire shall be for your husband. Watch it now. And he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. A careful study of that in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word means teshikwah, and it means a desire to conquer. Now, because of the fall, because before the fall, there was no conflict in the marriage. I mean, everything was harmonious. Everything just flowed perfectly. There was no conflict. Everything was just, was just doing, just going great. All of a sudden, sin comes into the world. A sin comes into the picture because of their disobedience. And God's judgment is God said, listen, here's what's going to happen. Your wife or you know, the woman is going to have a desire to rebel against her husband's authority. That's why I said that your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. How many of you know, it's getting a little warm here. You guys warm? He shall rule over you. That word rule, if you studied that in the Hebrew, it means mashal, M-A-S-H-A-L. It is a dictatorial or absolute or uncaring use of authority. Not a kind or loving rule, but a harshful, forceful rule. Now, so now we see where the conflict is. Because now, because of the fall, and it wasn't that God was saying this, that this is the way he wanted to be. God was just simply stating the fact that because of the sin and disobedience, this is the problem that's going to derive from that. That women were going, are going to have a desire to usurp their husband's authority, and men are going to abuse their authority as leaders, and they're going to rule over them and be harsh with them. 
Now, the thing that we got to remember is that all of this is as a result of the fall. And so, wives, if you sense, you feel yourself saying, well, you know what? I don't want to obey him. You know, I don't, I, you know, nature, you know, human nature says whenever you hear that, that term, wives, submit yourselves to your husband, that, that nature, that, that, that old nature, that sinful nature says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Because the reality of it is, is that because of the fall, because of sin, here's what we're dealing with today. And now we can see the conflict is laying right there in the marriage. And watch this. It was not that Adam had no authority before the fall. It was that he misused his authority after the fall. So the curse brought a distortion. Watch this. Of Adam's humble, considerate leadership and Eve's intelligent, willing submission to that leadership, which existed before the fall. And so which brings us down to. Uh, Ephesians chapter number five, because Christ redemption in Christ reaffirms the creative order redemption in Christ reaffirmed the created order. In other words, when we read uh, Ephesians chapter five, Paul is going to bring us back to how things was before the fall, how they were meant to be. And he has to do that because in our nature, men, we want to dominate. We want to rule. Women, they don't want to submit to this. They have to struggle with that because of sin. But watch this. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter number five. Y'all still with me? All right. Stay with me now. I know it's a little warm, but did you turn some air on? Thank you. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Ephesians chapter five. Watch this now. Wow. Watch this. This is deep. So remember, Christ's redemption reaffirms the creative order. Now, here's what Paul is instructing to the wives and the husbands. Now, we're going to talk about the wives next week, but we're going to deal specifically with the husband. Well, watch this. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Watch it. As also Christ is the head of the church and is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Watch this now. Husbands, here's the balance. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husband ought to love their own wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it just as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. And so Christ, Paul, in the, talking to the Ephesians, is bringing us back to how things ought to operate. He says, wives, now submit yourselves to your husband, for he is the head. Just like Christ is the head of the church, husband is the head of their wives. Now, we got to talk about this because, because one of the things we got to ask ourselves is that Christ, the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ, the church. We're the bride of Christ. So you got to kind of ask yourself, how is it that Christ lead the church? How many know that Christ is not harsh? How many know he's not forceful? 
How many know he's not dominating? Many of us came to Christ because it was his loving kindness that drew us in. It was the fact that God forgave us. It was the fact that he lavished his love on us, even though we didn't deserve any of it. And so that, so, so his loving kindness, the scripture says, drawed us to Christ. And so man is the head of his wife as Christ is head over the church. He is called, watch this, he is called to love her as Christ loved the church. Now, how did Christ love the church? Christ loved the church by dying for her, for you and me. Men, we are called to lay down our lives and die for our wives. Now, it's not just, I mean, all of us would like to think as men that if, there's, if something were to happen and there was a choice to be made, that we would all man up and we would take a bullet if we have to take one for our wives. But I think it's even more difficult to lay down your life on a regular basis for the well-being of your wife. And so when that scripture there talks about loving your wives, laying down your life, it's a daily thing. You take up your cross daily, men, and you lay down your life for your wife. You do whatever you can to make her happy. Ooh. Look at this. Now, he is to serve her. You remember Christ. Right. Think about this. Christ, Jesus Christ, the son of God who holds all power in his hand. The Bible says that the world is held together by the power of his word. Jesus almighty owns everything else should die. The Lord of glory. Think about this. Here it is. He is now about to ascend and go back to be with the father. He's about to die. And the Bible says this is in John chapter 13. I can't read it for time's sake. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, here is Jesus who is about to go back, who's about to give his life and go back to be with the Father. The Bible says that Jesus, having, having thought about it, he, he remembered, he said, you know, he realized that I'm going back to be with the Father. I own everything. And at that moment, he girded himself with a towel. He got a water basin and he bowed down on his knees and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, Peter Peter, you know, Peter said, wait, 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 wait a minute. What's up? I mean, you, you, you're the Lord. You don't wash my feet. Because, you see, in his mind, if you're a leader, if you're the man, you serve me. You see, in that culture in those days, the servants were the ones to wash feet. If you came to somebody's house and I had a servant, I don't get out. I mean, it wasn't customary that me as the owner go and wash your feet. No, I have somebody else to do that job. But here is the Lord of glory. Jesus, he bows down and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter was baffled. He said, because everything I've been taught about leadership, that doesn't make any sense. What are you doing? You're the Lord of glory. Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, Peter said, no, you ain't going to wash my feet. Jesus said, well, Peter, check this out. If you, don't let, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have no part of me. Now, old boy got a revelation because then he said, well, wash my whole body. Hook a brother up. Because he realized, and Jesus says, now, here's what he said. He said, now, if I, being your Lord and your master, can get down and wash your feet, you ought to do it in one another. The whole idea, folks, is this, servant leadership. God has called men to lead by example. It is not her responsibility. Can you imagine that Jesus, 
you know, he's sitting there at the TV, you know, flipping the channels while his wife, you know, if, you know obviously he wasn't married. But just, just kind of, you know, just think with me for a moment. Just bear with me. But he's just kind of sitting on the TV, just kind of watching the game. His wife is just, what you want, honey? Okay, honey. Okay, what you want, honey? Okay, anything else, honey? You know, no way. He wouldn't do that. Because Jesus was the king of kings, but he served. He gave his life. And so God, so men, God has called us to serve our wives, to give our lives for her. That is to get on our knees and do whatever we got to do. Because how many know if you want to be treated like Mr. Universe, you got to treat her like Miss Universe. And, you know, here's the thing. Watch this now. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. The better the pastor, the better the church. The better the husband, the better the wife. You got it. And so we reap what we sow. In other words, if I want to see a change in my wife, then I need to sow into her what I want to see happen. See, a lot of times we sow negativity and we reap the same thing back. And we can't figure out why am I reaping this? I don't want all, I didn't ask for all this. Because you reap what you sow. So if you want to see your wife change, then men, you get up and you be the example. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go in here and I'm going to bust some suds. I'm going to the laundry room and I'm going to get the clothes. Just like that, that video. You see how that guy was just sitting there? He was chilling. But he said, oh, honey, look, I'm going to come and just I'm going to take care of you today. He didn't do jack. But that's how a lot of men are today. That's what they think leadership is. That women exist just for us. And it's not that way. It's no wonder that our marriages are struggling. He says that we are to sanctify her with the word. Glory to God. That means that men are called to be spiritual leaders in their homes. Spiritual leaders. You see, in my house, now my wife, she, she complies with me because it's just been that way for so many years. But in my house, I'm the one to get up and I say we're going to church. I rise up early in the morning. I get up extra early. And if I need to, I tell the kids, wait, the, the night before, I set the tone. We need to do A, B, and C because we're going to church. Why? Because, men, you are the spiritual leaders of your home. And a sadly to say, in a lot of churches, all of you know it, that a lot of churches that you go to, what you see is more women and you don't see any men leading. You got more women who are in leadership role in the church, worshiping God. Where is the husband? Where is he at? I mean, it is a travesty. But God called us to be the spiritual leaders. We ought to be the ones that impart. Listen, we're to make sure that our family are being spiritually fed and nourished and cared for. That is our responsibility, not hers. And so she finds herself overwhelmed with all of this because in our minds, I'm the man. I got it. You know, I've done my part. You see, we need to get back to the kind of leadership that Christ talked about. He says that a man who loves his wife, he nourishes and he cherishes her. Watch this now. That word cherish means you hold her dear. Mm. Feel or show affection. To entertain or harbor in the mind deeply, resolutely. I mean, we're called to be, to nourish our wives. Just like we get in the mirror and we take care of ourselves. You know, anytime I think that I'm looking good, I, I get a little bit high. You know, I go stand in the mirror. 
God said you need to spend a little bit more of that time treating your wife, nourishing her a little bit. Get out the mirror. Stop looking at yourself. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Mm. All right, turn to 1 Peter chapter number 3. Come on now, watch me now. Come on, stay with me. We're almost done. Stay with me. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Stay with me. But you're going to be better. Watch this now. Watch this. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Watch this now. Husband, I'm sorry, look at verse number 7. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your, listen to this, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The first thing he says there is, he says, listen to this, folks. He says, men, that we are to dwell with our wives in an understanding way. And see, the only way you can begin to understand your wife is that you got to let go of some of your own selfishness. I.e., for an example, I come to my wife and I say to her, honey, can I go golf today? And she says, well, all right, sure. Now, if I'm all about me, you know what I would say? Yes, I'm gone. She told me yes. Boy, get the, get the, I'm gone. I'm out of here. Because she just gave me the green light. See, the Bible says to dwell with your wife in an understanding way. That means that you got to get to know your wife. Know her strength. Know her weaknesses. Know what makes her happy. Know what makes her sad. Begin to understand her. Know her. And the only way to do that is to spend time with her and get out of yourself. I know sometimes, you know, it's hard men when they want to talk and all we want to do is go to sleep. But, 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 but in some of that, there's some revelation that we can begin to understand our wives. And perhaps maybe we're struggling in our marriage because we just don't understand. We don't understand because you know why? Sometimes we're not, we don't, we don't, we're not entering into their world enough. But he said, dwell with your wife in an understanding way. He says that we're called to honor her. Listen to this. That word honor means this. A person of superior standing. One whose worth brings respect or fame. Whoo, man. That's honoring your wife. In other words, listen, men, we ought to honor our wives and treat her as like, like she is the best thing that ever walked the planet. And that also, you heard me joke about this yesterday, but, but I mean it. But also that you demand from other people that they honor and they respect your wife. Why? And how do you do that? Do you do that by just jumping in somebody? No, no, no. You do that by the way that you treat her. You know, I don't allow folks at my work and guys joke around. And they just, you know, you don't joke about my wife. You don't joke about what you might do. I honor my wife and you're going to honor her because I'm not going to allow that to happen. Not going to allow it to happen. And so we're to honor her. That means, that, listen, we're to treat her like she's famous. Like, like I mean, you, you treat her like, you know, the, the, the church I used to be a member of years ago, and this, uh, this old pastor, and he used to always call his wife by her last name. He, when he referred to her, he talked about her to the congregation, he would say, miss this and miss that. 
and you always see her, and she was always had a little spot, and she was always sitting up there gorgeous, just looking good, just looking good, dressed to her teeth, got her little apron on her, and she just sit up there, and he treated her like she was a queen. And here's the thing, because he treated her that way, he got that same kind of treatment back. Because, you see, he honored her. We give more honor to other things than we don't honor our spouses. And then we, we try to figure out, okay, God, what's the problem? In other words, you don't insult her with cruel and harsh words. You never demean her in public. We're to love her and to care for her and to honor her because she's a weaker vessel. Now, watch this now. That weaker vessel does not mean that she is just some kind of a weak nothing. Weaker vessel, you do a careful study of that passage, mean, think of it this way. You got a very, very expensive piece of property in your house, like a vase. And it, you want to handle it with care. You don't let that anybody hold it because they just might drop it on the floor and might break it. So you become guarded. Why you become guarded? Because this is, this is precious. So I, I handle it with care. And so what do we do? We take that, that, that expensive piece a property, and we place it in a place where, where people can walk in and they can see it and say, wow. That's it. Where did you get that? That is beautiful. Men, when, when the Bible says that she is the weaker vessel, that's what it's talking about, that she is to be handled with care. She's delicate. Obviously, men are physically stronger, and the reason why men, in, in, in most cases, I mean, there are some exceptions to every rule. We all know that. I mean, you got some women out there that can take some men on. I know that. I'm well aware of that. I've witnessed it. But in most cases, it's not that way. Men are physically stronger because God has called men to preserve and to protect their wives. That's why we're strong. That's why we're that way. She's a weaker vessel, but nonetheless, she's delicate. She's a joint heir. That means that women, here's the thing now, and this, this is going to kind of go against some of our theology, but she is a joint heir. That means that she enjoys equal standing before God. Remember, God created man, male and female, but they're the same in their personhood and the same in important and they're the same in value. Women were not created inferior to men. We act like that sometimes as men, but that's not the case. She is of equal importance. The Bible says that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The only thing that makes us separate is we have distinctive roles. Our roles are different, but we're the same. We are one in the same. And the Bible says, watch this now, it says, Honor your wife as a weaker vessel. Dwell with her in an understanding way. That you, watch this now. That your prayers be not hindered. Now, that is deep. That is deep. Because what God is saying, that if we don't treat our wives right, God is saying that you can cry out to me all day long, but your prayers are going to be hindered. Boy, if that doesn't change you, nothing else will. Some of us have been praying forever. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. God is saying, I've been a witness. Turn with me to Malachi. You don't believe me. I can see the look on your face. Turn with, turn to me, turn with me to Malachi chapter number two. Let me, let me show you something. And this is the last scripture we're going to read and we're done. Malachi chapter number two. No, did I say two? Malachi chapter number two, verse 13. Watch this. Now, here, here are the priests and the prophets. Here they are. Watch this now. These are leaders. 
Leaders are the people. Look at verse number 13 of Malachi chapter number 2. And this is the second thing that you do. He's talking to the leaders. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears. In other words, you come to me weeping and crying, saying, Lord, give me that job. Lord, give me that promotion. Lord, give me that healing. Lord, give me, give me, give me. He said, you come to the altar, you come with crying. So he does not regard the offering. He does not regard the offering anymore. You come with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? In other words, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? I mean, God, don't you hear me? I mean, God, God, come on now. I, I, I need for you to move on my behalf. I've been believing you, God, for months to do this thing for me. Here's what God said. He said, watch this now. He says, because the Lord has been a witness between you and your wife of your youth. Here's the thing that we got to remember. God is a witness to how we treat our wives. If nobody else see it, how many know God sees it? He said, I am a witness between you and your wife. I've seen what you've been doing between you and your wife and your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks a godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none of you deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Boy, if that doesn't settle it, nothing else will. So God is saying to men, listen, we got to be careful how we treat our wives. I know sometimes I've heard guys say, well, she don't do A and B and she don't do this and she don't do that. But how many know that God is calling you as a leader to do what he has instructed you to do? See, as you grow in your affection and your love for God, one of the things that happen is even if you had a situation, man, where your wife is just rebelling all over the place, you'd still lead with example. Because here's what God is going to do for you. God is going to honor you. And God is going to deal with the problem. But what you do is, as a man, listen, as a man who's godly, you're submitted, you love her, you serve her, you honor her. You do all those things the Bible says. You say, well, Pastor, I, I, I do all that. She still don't listen to me. Well, you just keep doing that. Keep doing exactly that. And God is going to honor you for your obedience to what he has called us to do. And so, husbands, here's the thing you got to remember. When you act selfish, harsh, domineering, or abusive, you must realize that this is as a result of the fall, and that is destructive to your marriage. Wives, when you feel rebellious, resentful of your husband's leadership in the family, or when you compete with your husband for leadership, realize that it is that it too is a result of sin and the fall. This will bring destructiveness to your marriage. You see, when each spouse accepts their God-given roles and embrace them, you can expect a harmonious marital relationship that will last. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray.